Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. I am your host, Ami Tucker Ravel. This week, lots of amazing, fun things happening for the podcast. New website coming out soon, new logo, and a new name. Not too different from Ami Tuckered Out, same family, but you know, just tweaking it a bit, stepping up my game. I'm part of a fellowship uh, that starts this week a podcast fellowship that is, and I have a few collaborations coming up, a few events I'm speaking at. Your girl, your girl is stepping up, guys. I'm very excited. And today's interview is super fun. I get to talk to Indian American comedian Rajiv Satyal. He is, I mean, this man has done it all. He does stand-up comedian, not stand-up comedian. He is a stand-up comedian. He does stand-up comedy. Uh, he's in television, film, radio. Uh, he has had his own podcast. He does. He has a game show right now on Facebook called Desi Chain. He has a big project coming up that he's going to announce soon. And he is the first person ever to perform stand-up comedy on all seven continents, which is kind of crazy. Uh, we, we talk about his uh, trip to Antarctica. Um, Satyal has over 50 million views on YouTube. So people want to listen to this guy. He's awesome. We had a good time. Uh, you know, kind of making fun of each other. It was great. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Rajiv Satyal. I will try to bust out with an Indian accent every once in a while because it's just something I tend to. Yep, that too. That too. Oh yeah, yeah. Those headphones are pretty serious. <laughs> they're, they're, they're no joke. They're no joke. I don't, I don't look bad with them, but I look better without them. Like, um, LA, New York right now. Where are you? LA, Burbank. You from Ohio. And then correct me if I'm wrong on this, because this is a Wikipedia fact. Your mother migrated to US in the 1970 and then your dad in 71. So that- My dad that is, actually in 73. Okay. So that's not a common story. So what's, yep. what's your parents' immigration story? Mm -hmm. Yep. You're very astute to pick up on that. As far as I know, the only Desi woman I know who came before her man. So that is interesting. Uh, yes. My mom's dad, very, very progressive. Rest in peace. He raised, well, two sons and four daughters. One, one of the sons passed fairly early, but four daughters and insisted that they go to college just like the son and treated them all the same. That's amazing. So you're Punjabi, correct? Bale, bale. Bale, bale. So yeah, that's amazing because back then, especially Punjabi fathers and mothers, very strict, right? Yeah, I would and say then, probably all Desis. I don't even yeah. know about Punjabis. Punjabis are maybe even more liberal. I mean, my wife's Gujarati and they are super conservative. Oh yeah, no, we're getting there because um, I'm a Texas Gujarati. So I already so figured we will, we will get along. I know. Okay, ready anytime. Awesome. You know how to I feel like we're already into good stuff here. Yeah, yeah, you know how to pick them. <laughs> and so what were your parents doing? Why did they immigrate here? My parents came here for better education, both of them. My mom's dad sent my, well, it's really, my mom's brother came here first in 1968. So almost as early as you could come legally, 65 obviously being the answer to that, the year zero, as it were, for Desi Americans. But my uncle, my mom's brother, sponsored my mom and her sister, his sister, and they came here in 1970 to go to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. That's amazing. And then how did your parents meet? They actually met in India. They were neighbors. So they did not have an arranged marriage. 
Man, they're like trailblazing all over the place. Yeah. Look yeah. Look at that. And then you have twin, fraternal twin brothers. Correct. Uh, Rakesh is, an, is the author of Blue Boy. Correct. And has a Wikipedia page like you do. So who are your parents most proud of? Ah, that's really funny. Themselves for making us, I guess, probably. It's interesting because my parents have been so supportive of us. You know, I think, of course, most parents, I don't even think this is a Daisy thing. Uh, people say, well, they all want to become doctors. And yeah, but I think most parents want their kids to be doctors, whether, they, <laughs> whether they're white or black or brown. I think being a doctor is kind of like the slam dunk for any parents. And I think most communities want you to marry within the community, uh, racist or not. I think that's how most communities are, whether they're Italian, they're Irish, they're Indian, they're Korean. I, I really don't find those things to be unique to our people. I think what is unique in terms of medicine is that we do seem to have a proclivity for it, just like you right. do. And I think we have the means to achieve it. Yeah, we invented math, right? So well, um, kind of. I'm just going to make that up. And it's, I guess we can't do fake news anymore because we have a new president, but you know. Alternative facts, that's true. Alter alternative facts. Skipping around a little bit, uh, you wrote No Man's Land, a show about your dating life. How did this lead to proposing to your wife? You know, it's funny that you asked me that, Ami, about how No Man's Land, my first solo show in 2013, led to my marrying my wife. I was just thinking about this this morning, that it was almost to the day that I performed that show for the first time here in LA, and then my wife, my wife-to-be and I became exclusive. So November 1st, 2013 to November 2nd, 2014, it's really wild. I wrote a show about my dating life, about how bad I was with women. And the show itself transformed me, you know, having to dig through all of that, piece yeah. it together and everything. I have a really strong point of view, which is that people who are single are generally single for a reason. And people get offended when you say that, but the reality is we all have work to do. You know, if you, if you lucked out and met your person in high school or grad school, good on you. But the people I know who are still single, I'm like, a lot of them haven't done the work. That doesn't mean all of them, but probably all of them haven't done the work. They haven't really taken the time to do the introspection, figure out, you know, let me stop trying to chase women and figure out, like they say, try to make yourself a man that women would want to be with. And that's, you know, obviously trans, cis, gender spectrum, all friendly to that. But just whatever you're trying to do. I think people concentrate on on trying to get people when it's like it's I'm a comic man you know there are times you go into onto stage and you're trying to get laughs that's the wrong attitude you're supposed to give laughs man you're supposed to be get you're supposed to you know bring happiness it, you're not trying to gather laughs you're trying to give them and I think it's the same thing people show up and they're like I want to get all these bitches it's like well that's that's not the way to go about it yeah or or women getting men right yeah sure yeah. So, so you're doing this. Was she at the show or was she like, how did you guys meet? We met on OkCupid, the dating app. Okay. And uh, so it wasn't directly somebody who was in the show, although that was kind of the idea was to take it around all these cities and see if the person would actually be in the show. It was, it was the day, I think, after I performed it in my hometown of Cincinnati at the Aronoff, which is this kind of big place downtown. Not the big theater. The big theater is like 2,800 seats. This was... Yeah, you know, 425, but I still sold it out. I'll take it. Good so, for you. Uh, but much smaller. Thank you. But yeah, I don't want people to think, well, do you really do that one? It's like, no. So someday. 
but she met. Hey, you made up for being a doctor, not being a doctor. There you go. Exactly. Fine. It's like finally this guy did. Yeah, four twenty-five. It's fine. Four twenty-five. I'll take it. That was that would have been my MCAT score, I think. Uh, <laughs> make any sense. So my my SAT verbal. So yeah. Uh, what, which, which they are, are scratching now the whole SAT. So it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I know they're they're lucky bastards. Pisses me off. I know. So stressful. Anyways. I know. Only missed it by like twenty-five years. A quarter century. <laughs> That's about it. God damn it. So close. So close. It's fine. We're always so close. Always so close. So she messaged me. I messaged her back and we went from there. So it was a fairly standard, like, you know, online dating kind of thing. At the time in 2014, it was still relatively novel, but the the stigma was gone. It's not like it is today where it's just, that's the norm, but it wasn't, you know, 2010 or 2011 where you were still like super daring to be out on the dating platforms. Totally. Yeah. I was just about to ask you like, okay, Cupid, was that an old school thing or is that even around anymore? I don't even know anything about dating. I don't even know if it is. We were watching The Weakest Link and Jane Lynch asked a question about Plenty of Fish. I always think of Plenty of Fish and okay, Cupid is kind of in the same branding category. I think yeah. eHarmony Match are still out there. It's probably good that I think these things instead of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have all the apps. Yeah, totally. Um, so of course you married the coolest person you could, which is a Indian chick from Texas. <clears throat> Where is she from in Texas? She was, she grew up in LaGrange between okay. Houston and Austin. Yeah. And then, but she claims Austin, of course, but well, but she went to UT Austin for undergrad and for farm school. So she's, she's hooking horns. So, so did, so did I, I'm sure I'm older than her, but I'm sure she's, she's my soul sister already. We all, from all, everyone from UT is pretty awesome. So you're very lucky to talk to me right now. Um, yeah. You got married in Austin. Um, and your proposal was pretty awesome too. Does she love the proposal? Thank you. Yeah, she did. She had an inkling it was coming, but it wasn't for sure. And it wasn't like, let me get her permission. But Kevin Nealon, the headliner yeah. that night, was like, are you sure she's going to be into this? Because yeah. not every woman would be. I go, you know what? I think she will be. And if she's not, well, you know. Who is she, who's she marrying, basically? Right. Yeah, like, what do, you, what do you kind of expect if you're looking for an epic proposal? And that's every man tries to think through that. You think, well, how... How can I make it my own and make it big? It's like, you know, hot air balloon, whatever. My, my best friend did that. But I'm going, yeah, but I think people would expect it to be something comedy related. Yeah. I mean, you would assume so. And she said yes. So, you know, it kind of worked out. That, that does work out. And if she would have said no, it would have been funny. Not for me, but for the 300 people. I mean, you would have definitely given some laughs there. There would have been people for laughing for sure. Absolutely. And, then we, and then we would have been talking about more apps right now. So it's fine. It would have worked out either way. Either way, either way. You were a good Indian boy. I'm not saying you're not now, but you got your engineering degree. So that's good. That's a check. Mom and dad should be happy with that, right? They are. And then you were pursuing an MBA. I think you tip, dipped your toes in it and then said, screw that. And you were with P&G for a while. And then at the age of 30, you said, screw this nine to five shit. I'm going to LA. So how was that transition? And how did your family react? You know... Uh, they always knew I was a, a wanderer, a seeker, a wanderlust of sorts, you know, kind of where I think even at the age of six, I knew I wanted to do something different. I just didn't know what that was. I was constantly making these lists and introspection and like, what do I want out of life? And I asked very early, maybe not at six, but probably 12 or 13, like, is that all there is to life? Is a suburban life? It's just you're going to get married and raise a family and work at Procter and Gamble and be done with it. And my mom said, well, yeah, that's, that's what life is. And I just said, well, I don't know. I, I can see how that's appealing for people, but that's just not what I want. And I already know that. 
so I think there's always this balance for my parents, for me of, because my parents had such a different existence as well. And it's always funny when they see parents are like, well, don't, you know, let's, let's, let's not risk too much. And I'm like, you risked everything you knew. You did the craziest thing there is, yeah, which is I to know. leave your home country and sail around the world and start again. So really going from Cincinnati to LA shouldn't be that much of a shock, but I think yeah. they did that. So we didn't have to do that. I think, I mean, look, I and you know, this, this is the common Desi story, right? At least from our parents and, and when they immigrated here. Yeah. I mean, it's, you think about just what you would want for your kids. I can see it as you get older. I mean, we're not parents yet, but I think there's this idea that you can certainly understand it. I mean, just the concept of wanting people around you to be safe and secure and happy and healthy. This is a, this is a tough road and there are sacrifices you have to make. And, you know, it's, I always tried to listen to my elders, at least hear them out and assume what the, I always think people should follow conventional wisdom unless you have a really good reason not to. So it's like, if you don't want to live in the suburbs and whatever, it's like, I would have, if I want to come up with something, I don't think you just fly off the, fly off the handle. If you don't have anything better, it's like, well, just listen to what everyone's doing. And so that you at least know what that is and you can make a decision. You have the data. Look, I will tell you, man, I have, I have two kids now, seven and and four. I, I never thought I would be like, okay, I definitely want them to get married. I never thought that way before, you know, before I'm like, yeah, whatever. My kids can do whatever they want and, right. blah, blah, blah. and they don't have to marry a Gujarati. And, and I still don't, don't think they need to marry a Gujarati person, but it's definitely the, those thoughts are coming in my head now where I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. it'd be kind of nice if they got married. No, no. It'd be kind of nice if they were Hindu, just, just to keep the like the religion, whatever. I can definitely see that creeping in. So, I mean, totally understand our parents' point of view on all that. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make sense. And I think that especially in this, it's getting better or worse, however you want to say it in terms of like the wokeness of the whole thing and stating those preferences and saying, well, is it important? And, you know, I asked my parents early on, I said, you know, does it matter if she's Punjabi? And my dad just said, look, you can bring home anyone and we're going to ultimately get used to her. That's not going to be the issue. It's going to be our comfort level though, in general and yours and the families and societies and just fighting that battle, the more different they are from like that Punjabi woman, it's just going to be another thing. And he goes, you're not going to really understand it right now. And I said, well, what is the difference if I marry a Gujarati or someone from Tamil Nadu or whatever? Or a non-Indian, right? Or a non-Indian, which that's a whole different thing. But like, it's almost, if she's East Asian, the culture is so similar, right? It's if she's Chinese or Korean or whatever, Chinese is a little bit charged for, especially for Indians. But if she's Mm -hmm. Korean and I dated a, a Vietnamese woman for a while and it's like, my parents really liked her and it was, you know, they could, they could see it and they go, look, it's family oriented, same part of the world. Like so many things match up. But I think what's different, especially for uh, Hindu Punjabis or Hindu Indians, is is the religion, right? So that's what Bharat has in common is this whole idea of somebody from Tamil Nadu or Karnataka, if they're Hindu, that is 80% of the battle. Right. But then my dad is like, look, with Punjabis, and if he's like, if you marry someone else, he's like, we dance differently. We celebrate differently. There are different holidays. We call things the same thing. We eat the same food. He goes, there's just a cultural background. And, and now that I'm married to a Gujarati, I totally get what my dad means. They call it cha instead of chai. Dance with sticks. We don't. They hey, hey the dance with sticks is pretty dope. Just telling it's you. It's pretty dope, but no. I'm, 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 I'm a Dandia champion. I'm just, we'll go there later. I, I'll be the first one to say that, like, 
Texas to California is kind of like Gujarat and, and Punjab. It's like there's this there's this battle, this constant battle of like which state in the union makes America America. It's like if you lose California, you lose half your swag. That's it. We're the fifth largest economy in the world. Like there, there's no doubt that California is the best state. I'd say Texas is probably a close second. And right. my wife will go, all right, yeah, like I could she goes, I see your argument. I go, Hollywood, Silicon Valley. Like we're done. Like, is there anything else we need to say? I said, yeah, I oil is what you guys have. We're, so, we're, we're, like, we're very sen- we're very senty about these things, Roger. Oh, very much so. And she's yeah. like, but, but I go, but I'm not from California, so I'm I choose to live here. I'm not a born and raised Californian. But Punjab is just like, dude, like we are half of India's swag. I mean, no doubt. You lose Punjab, you, you've lost. 50% of your cool points in India, I think. Can I, can I say something kind of that, that, you know, we make an argument about? I lived in India twice. Uh, once in between, after UT, I worked at Enron and just shredded papers all day. It was really weird. In between Enron and I, I was a good Indian girl, Gujarati girl, went to law school. My brother was already a doctor. So I was like, I'll do a lawyer, whatever. So lived in Bombay for a year in between trying to, I was a backup Bollywood dancer not for Bollywood stars, but for the pop stars in India that were like rising up at that point at 2003-ish when wow. like the music scene was separating from like the Bollywood scene. So, and I was really, I mean, I was horrendous. I'm so glad oh. that it was horrendous. I just couldn't, I, I don't even know how I got on the team. Don't even, whatever. Anyway. Why? Kind of, Why were you so bad at it? I don't, I'm not a good, I'm a good freelance dancer. Like I can't, you freestyle, right? Like mm-hmm. if I, if someone tells me to do something choreographed, I get stressed out. I, I, I can't do it. Huh? But if you and I were to meet at a bar in New York, I would destroy you. I mean, that's just. We, we can, we can uh, arrange yeah. for that. And yeah, I yeah. take that challenge. hundred percent. Done. You heard it. Uh, and I lived in Delhi for about two years. And then I lived in Bangalore for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. You were North and South. North and South. And in Bombay, I did for a year as well. But my whole family is in Bombay. So Bombay to me is just, that's that's my city there. And this um, is all the zeros, basically like 03, 08, somewhere in there? Uh, so the first stint was uh, 02 to 03. Okay. Bom- Bombay. And then the second stint with my husband was uh, 2009 to 12. And I got to tell you, I would not ever live in Delhi again or in North India. Okay. Um, I do think I love the culture and I, I, and I know everyone in, in the States views Punjabis in a certain way. I felt, I've never felt so unsafe in my life. Um, well, I felt like the, you're a woman. Yeah. It was just an aggressive cult. And we, we explored all of North India and we explored all of South and just the general vibe I got. And I'm not either one, like I'm Bombay, right? So I'm, I'm equal opportunity here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just... The North India culture and atmosphere environment always seemed very aggressive to me. But we were in Lucknow, probably the nicest hotel there, one, one of the Thajas, whatever, something. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to get a drink. And we were, we went downstairs to the one bar, again, a very nice hotel, all dudes, half of them had guns like on their laps. And Are you just, serious? Swear to God, I'm not making this up. And we sat in the bar. I know. I I haven't even even shot. They're like, ma'am. I know. I should have been like, what's up, guys? And we were getting drinks, and I was like, hmm, this is a little bit awkward. I'm like, like, literally, no other woman. They were, I was getting stared at. So we felt uncomfortable. We went back to our room. Again, I know these are one-off stories, but just the general kind of the vibe I had. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say your people's like anything negative. I'm just saying I don't take it that way because I don't I don't, didn't grow up there, right? So right. I performed in 11 states. I've been all over. I think every state in the South. Uh, but uh, I know what you're saying. I, I don't. But I, I'm not offended by that kind of stuff. Even if you're like, hey, I hate California and I hate Ohio. I'm like, all right, no, that's fine. I can't hate I'm California. Not- my husband, my husband's a Californian. No, it was. You know what? It's not about hate or not. I was just surprised. I didn't. You know, like none of us had lived there. Like, all of us grew up here. So living there was quite eye-opening. I mean, we had to drive through, we went to Rishikesh once, we had to drive through UP, like literally the whole drive, our driver was scared because like, there's just so many car thefts and people will stop your, I mean, it's just. If your driver's scared, that's bad. No shit, dude. I just watched watched White Tiger and I was like, huh. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's like when you're on the plane and the flight attendants are all cool and they're all chill, then you know you're fine. If I ever saw the flight attendants running and putting their seatbelts on, that's when I would start to freak. And these are, this is like an Indian driver. I mean, those yeah, guys are scared as shit, you know? No, like, yeah, anyways, it was, it was educational. It was an education. Bangalore, I loved. It was my favorite city in India the first several times I went. It no longer is only because the traffic is so damn bad. And when I say that, people are like, uh, so you still love Bombay and you live in Los Angeles. I go, you don't understand. That's not the point. I'm willing to deal with traffic in Bombay and Los Angeles because that's that's part and parcel of what it is. Right. But Bangalore to me was always a very charming city. Right. Yeah, it was the right size. It was big, but not too big. I loved the vibe more than, and I still like the vibe there probably more than any other city in India. Right. But right. man, the traffic, it takes two hours to go from the airport to the airport. Yeah. Yeah. I think right when we left in 2012, it was getting bad. It was getting bad then. Uh, yeah. Just a general environment of the South. I love it though. It's very different. Anyways, point is, High five. All good. High We're five. all brown. High five on all that. All right. Low, low five because it's more like India is more like. I'm hoping the handshake doesn't come back, actually. We should just keep on doing namaste nowadays. A um, friend of mine, a uh, white friend of mine from Ohio was like, you need to do a bit about how, he goes, we white people already are so terrible at like shaking hands, fist bumping. He goes, how much are we going to suck now? At just because we're always like we're so awkward, you know, versus like black guys. They are, it's somehow the memo travels. They know exactly what to do. Uh, another quick question I had, what's up with the Cincinnati offices of Procter and Gamble having all these comedians? Like what, what do you, do you guys have like a, are you guys doing this on the side? We were. Uh, so when I first got there, I started doing stand up on the side in college. So I dipped my toe in the water the first time while I was still at university of Cincinnati. But the reason I don't talk about this and I've said this on other interviews yep. too, which is just, you know, 98, but I go, I didn't really start in earnest until 05. So I split the difference and I talked to my fellow comics there. I said, can I just say 02? And they said, yeah, I said, I'm getting interviewed a lot. So I'm really good. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, okay, I, I was doing it on the side. A guy named Greg Warren was in sales and he was already a band three. So he had already been promoted a couple of times. So even if you don't know PNG lingo, it was just enough to go, well, he, he's got a career on his hand. Yeah. So it's uh, pretty, uh, but, but not choreographed. And so never, 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 never choreographed. I, I hear you. I had to dance for my uh, two person show in New York last year. And I mean, was part of that. I mean, she yeah. was part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, it took a lot of work for me to get the choreographed nature of it down. But when I had to I'm, like, I'm seriously like sweating right now, thinking about 2002 right now. Okay. It's fine. Continue. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, traumatic. I know. It, it's uh, hard to yeah. yeah. Unless it's in your muscle memory, your body will go left instead of right. Like you've got to get those moves down and you're going to, oh, you're going to look like what's your face and mean girls. So I don't really know what it is, it, but the company was very supportive, which makes it sound bad. Like get the hell out of here. But <laughs> I think they just hired talented people who had all sorts of, they had a PNG idol one year 
where people could perform and sing and dance and whatever. And there's some talented people there. Man, I could have done my raw stuff there. Oh, well, it's fine. Oh, yeah. They would have welcomed it. I'm good with that choreograph too, by the way. So then you're in, you're in LA. Okay. So I, I was reading everything you've done, which is kind of insane. I, I write notes for these interviews. I'm going like, to type them out. And, yeah, yeah. I love uh, that. Wow. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause, I mean, you've been interviewed so many times. So I don't want to be super annoying. I have to ask this. Okay. So I know it's been mentioned that you started, you had an unusual entry into standup. You did an act for Pete Sampras, who then told you to focus on jokes on brown, for brown people. How did that happen? It's interesting because, you know, he's Greek. And so he said, though, he goes, you know, the, the material you're doing, he goes, it's not that it's not funny. He goes, but I can hear this, you know, and he goes, look, I'm not an expert with, with stand-up at all. And in fact, people who are, tend to be extremely good at one thing really don't know much about other stuff, right? That's just part and parcel of the deal. But he said, why are you not doing anything about being Indian? He goes, that is so, that's unique. There's no one out there doing that. And he go, and, and this is interesting. So it, tied, it ties in with, in an indirect way, at least in my own mind, when I was doing the solo show, No Man's Land, and I called about 15 people over to my apartment in Studio City, and it was Manish Dayal and all these other actors who've really gone on to do stuff. I think Ravi Patel was there. Melanie uh, Kanokara, Nat Chandra might have been there. I don't know who all was there, but it was a lot of folks like that, mostly Daisies. But then my friend Brooke, who's an actress, and her friend Judith, who's a director. And I remember going through the whole thing. And Judith goes, she goes, look, I'm white. I understand a lot of the folks here are, are brown, South Asian, et cetera. When you're doing your observations about the American dating scene, it's insightful. It's funny. That's not what I'm saying. She goes, I know nothing about arranged marriage. It's 2013, right? 2012, maybe 2011 when I did the reading. And she goes, I want that. I can't get that anywhere. I can listen to a white guy tell me about dating in America. I need a brown guy to tell me about this or brown girl, whatever. So that, I think, was a very astute observation from Pete Sampras, then number I mean, one tennis player in the world, to go, this is the lane for you. Like, talk, why aren't you? Like, it doesn't have to be your whole act, but it's none of your act. And it's consistently been about 30% of my act because I feel like I'm 30, like I define myself as, you know, probably a third of that and two thirds other stuff. Well, your I Am Indian video is pretty viral, right? So <laughs> I would think so. Um, so was there a reason that you initially were staying away from it? Or were you, were you just trying to identify yourself as an American and a comedian, not just a brown person? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the, the world and, and I still largely do, but not, not as much, of course, as I've, I've become browner over time, gone to India so many times, et cetera. And, uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I grew up with my parents, my, like, like you've established, I mean, my, my mom came here first. They did not have an arranged marriage. My dad's a salesman. My mom's a teacher. They had white friends. My mom was friends with Yasmin, who is Muslim, and, and Raji, who's South Indian. And, you know, we grew up in a mostly white neighborhood and all that stuff all white neighborhood really, and all of that stuff. So my experience was fairly different. And so I actually found when I went to Temple and when I went to go do the coordinated dance stuff for Holi and, and, and Diwali, that was my out group. I did not feel like, oh my gosh, these are my people. I could not wait to go back and hang out with Chris and Rob and Matt and John because those right. were my people. So the kind of comedy I was gonna write was going to be, I didn't even think, it was not a decision like, do they see stuff or don't? It was like, here's what I find funny. Right. And over time then, when I saw that opportunity, 
you know, I think a lot of comics start making fun of their dads. And I didn't realize that, that at the time, but that's kind of what I did. And, but it was not a conscious decision to avoid it in the beginning. You've opened for the Indian prime minister, Narendra Modi. How was that? I didn't know his politics at the time. It's interesting. It was in September of 2015. I was preparing for it on our honeymoon. Now that I know them, would I do it? Yeah, probably because it's a gig. And I think performers look at things like gigs, A, because if you look at Hassan Minhaj, he got big because he did the White House Correspondents Dinner. There was almost, almost solidarity amongst a lot of comics who decided not to do it since Trump was in office. And he said, I'll do it. And... I think some people probably looked at that like, wow, you crossed the thin blue line and, you know, like we all had solidarity here and you went out and did it. But man, now the man has a career, A. And B, you get a chance to put your point of view out there. So I think there are ways to rationalize this any way you want. But honestly, for me to stand on that stage and speak to people, even now knowing like, because people ask me, like, if Donald Trump would have called you to the White House to perform, would you have done it? Because I hate Donald Trump almost as much as a person can. I mean, just with every fiber of my being. I think I hate him more than I love most of my friends. I would say, yeah, I probably would still do it. It's A, it's the White House. It's the office of the presidency, right? And B, that's your platform, dude. You can say some stuff. You can go speak to, you're not, you're, it's the opposite of preaching to the choir. You can actually, as a comic especially, you can do some jokes that tear him down, that tear down conservatives, that tear down Republicans. You should take that gig. And I was so, about to ask, what, what will your angle be? Like, how would you approach that? I mean, the same way I did with Modi. I didn't know his 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 uh, politics, but I know that his team was very anti-comedy, right? There, there was no room to do many jokes, but I just did them anyway. And they hired a comedian? Yeah, that's what I said to them. <laughs> that's huh? exactly I mean, what I said. I was hey, like, you do understand. Why didn't you hire a formal MC then? Instead yeah, of like, dude. Or just like a Bart Nottingham person or someone, something more serious. It's funny you say that because I did a gig the other day for a charity and I had performed for them before. And okay. uh, in, in person, the shows went, I would say pretty well, but very conservative, traditional South Indian charity yeah. type of thing. And then I did a virtual one and some of the comments were like, oh, you know, he's trying to be funny and this is a serious, but I told the organizers, what? you clearly liked me. I appreciate that. appreciate you're bringing me back, but why, if your audience was like, like the jokes on me were also so dad and uncle likely, there was no edge to them, but it was still like, oh, he shouldn't be making jokes. And you're Those going, are the best. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And it's like, I understand what you're saying, but then don't hire a comedian. Like the jokes are not even anywhere offensive. Like even right. this day and age, it wasn't right. like, oh, I was offended. It was, we shouldn't have someone joking around with. And then when I saw the rest of the program, I was kind of going, yeah, this doesn't really fit. Like, why am I here? You know, I still did my thing, but you're kind of going, yeah, I hire a straight man here. You don't need a comic. He, they just assumed you'd be just the, just the host and just, But then yeah. tell me that. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. Saw my also, also, maybe read your bio. I don't do formal speaking. I can, but that's yeah. not why people hire me. So actually, I had a question on that. So I, I read that, you know, you kind of frame your act, your, your comedy as clean act. Like it's, it's a TV clean act. Is that how, is it, is it still like that? Why that, why that approach? Is it just your personality or is it because you wanted to approach comedy differently? You know, I always found, and I still find it very interesting to find the line. 
Uh, I think that if you just go in and say whatever, whenever, and I also tend to make a lot of arguments on stage and actually uh, Hassan Minaj, my old roommate, he would always say this. He'd go, you know, in, an, in a fight or in an argument with your significant other, he goes, I always find that you can win if you don't swear. Because the minute you start swearing, it seems like you've lost control. If I don't swear and I'm speaking to you, and I remember running that by a friend of mine, and she said, well, I actually don't find that to be the case. She goes, I actually find it to be the case that my husband yells. That's where I really feel like he's lost control, not yeah. if he's swearing. I go, well, it's different things to different people, but I'm not going to yell on stage. <laughs> my dad loves to uh, use the B word quite a bit. I'm not going to replicate that, but, you know, he's uh, the, the, the sister word. Oh, B- oh, oh. When it's fine. It's, it's, it's rated R. It's fine. It's so rated, NC-17. <laughs> and Well, I'll say Ben Chote. That doesn't matter to me because yeah, it doesn't sound, to me, it doesn't sound like anything. But by I mean, what I say, my mom is like, you cannot say that word in your act because she goes, it just hits my ears so hard like that. Because she's obviously a native Hindi speaker, being from the north and being from Allahabad specifically, so she's like right. that word. I die when you when you yeah. say that word. There's just some and words that creep people out. Yeah. Well, we were walking in the temple once, and he tripped and almost said it, and I, I almost cried laughing. He didn't finish saying it, but he had to take his shoes off, and he's like, Bam! and he stopped, and I was crying. I was crying. I'm like. To say that word, it's like walking into church and saying MF, and it's just like, oh. Have you God. have you seen the um, Netflix show, the, the History of Swear Words? I, is Nicholas, it a comedy, and then an episode within that? No, no. So it's just the history of swear words, and of course, Nicolas Cage is the host. And so there's okay. like seven episodes, and each is a swear word. Anyways, it's, 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 it's awesome because it's Nicolas Cage. But we should do that for Indian swear words because our swear words are so like kind of oddly fantastic. I'm like, where how did this even come up? Like, I don't what who who started this business? So clean act. So that that's the reason why you it's fun. I, I developed my sense of humor in the classroom as a kid. And it was always fun to me to find the line that was gonna just kind of vex the teacher but not get me thrown out of class. And so I found that interesting. I also said, well, I don't know all these 300 people in front of me. I don't swear in front of people I don't know. I just, just even to this day, I don't like, I don't just drop an F-bomb. I'll, I swear in my daily life, you know, I wouldn't say constantly, but enough. My wife and I are, are, are you know, we'll speak like normal people do, but I, I try not to do it unless it's for effect. Cause then it's just so much funnier when you do, you know, as opposed to if you're just like F this, S that, C this, B that it's kind of like, but now I did start saying shit because the, the line has, has moved, right? I never, I didn't say asshole for a long time. And now you look at, if you're watching CNN, they will say bullshit and they won't bleep it out anymore. So you have to keep up with, with shifting standards. Whereas now, I mean, the, the words that would get you in trouble would be slurs, right? So if you're in corporate America or even if you were on stage as a performer, but let's say you were at PNG or IBM or Pepsi or Enron or one of those places right. and, you know, you... <laughs> You know, let's say you're in, in the boardroom, you're in a meeting room, whatever it is, and you slipped and you said the F word, you'd be in trouble, kind of. I mean, like we swore like in huddle rooms, but in a formal meeting, if their boss is there and you slipped and you said it, and you, and you were immediately sorry, uh, I think that you, you, you'd you survive that. You know, you're fired right. for it. Right, right. You're, 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 you won't get canceled, whatever. You're not going to get canceled. Whatever People will be called. a little bit upset, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But if you drop the C word... I think you'd be walked out of the building. I don't think that you could, I think you'd be fired probably on the spot. Yeah. If you drop the N word, you would probably not be able to get a job again. Like I think that's, you'd be on SpaceX going to the, on the next mission. Yeah. Yeah. Those words are far more powerful. 
yeah. then, you know, like, I guess, and there are other words like prick that you could use in a different constant, like prick your finger and George yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah. Or you and can you say know, prick in like a British accent and it sounds totally fine. Or then the C word. Yeah. Or they yeah, add that too. It depends on the accent, I think, too. You got to put that in account. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They funny. can't believe we say MF. They're like, what? That is such a serious word. But I just started saying bullshit and shit on social media and whatever, because it's like things have changed. I'm, I'm, right. But I try, try to lag there a little bit. So I probably will say it on stage when we, we go back to real life in the next four or five years. But I think that for me, it was always not about at all. Not, not at all. Trying to like keep control of the conversation. This guy's making an argument and he seems like he's fairly well thought out. And I'm always seen as very intelligent. So I don't associate swearing as much with intelligence in terms of your persona. I, I, they're not to say intelligent people don't swear, but I think when they're making a presentation, they don't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want you to watch this show whenever you have time. Okay. The, the History of Swear Words. Because they, they talk about the positive effects of using swear words. Okay. There are a is, lot. And how it is used by intelligent people. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying it isn't, but I think it's choice. All, all right, Ben Jord. Got to listen to it. Got to watch it. <laughs> the other story I need to hear is you closing the show for Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Speaking of clean comedians. So one night I was in New York at Gotham Comedy Club and it was rumored that Seinfeld had been dropping in on this Tuesday show. I had a guest spot and he drops in and Jim Gaffigan had already dropped in the week before. I had, I had, I followed Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. I followed Jim Gaffigan at Gotham and at my friend Sachin Sean's Eastville Comedy Club show and I was able to do it. I have the kind of personality on me where I can follow anybody. And the reason yeah. is I don't, I don't hit home runs. I hit doubles. So my laughs are, I mean, more than chuckles, but they're not, I'm not a belly laugh kind of comic. It's rare that I'm going to get you to laugh. So I'm not Chappelle. I'm not Louis C.K., rest in peace. I'm not Bill Burr. I'm not Chris Rock. But I'm more in that like Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan kind of, you know, where you're like, you're going to, you're going to enjoy yourself. It's going to be funny. Right. But I don't think that I'm, you know, out of an you hour. Do, uh, you get, you get the belly going. You, you get it warmed up. Yeah. And I, and, and that's what I do. I, I hit doubles. I, that's, that's my thing. And because I think you laugh the hardest at things at which you're not supposed to laugh. And I think it's hard to do that. If you're not swearing, if you're not dirty, it's hard to make people laugh. If you're clean to make them laugh that hard, it's hard, right? Like Ellen, Jerry, Jim Gaffigan, people like that. I'm not ever, I don't think dying. I'm just going, Oh my gosh, this guy's really talented. He's really funny. And I enjoy myself and all that. So Seinfeld goes on and uh, he's Seinfeld. He does really well, of course. And it's in New York. And then I think I had to go three after him, but I had to close the show. I mean, like way after the peak and I was able to do it. Like I was able to close the show. Like I was very happy with my set and I got to meet him that night, which is super fun. That's insane. Like, that's like you're here. Like, how are you not nervous Throwing up at this point, like because I performed for Pete Sampras before I even started. Uh, Petey, it all goes back Petey, to Petey. Petey Pablo. It goes back to Petey in the four twenty five. I think it really does. I know. Yeah, yeah. That should be the it name does. of your next show, whatever show you end up. Petey in the four twenty five. When you go back to Antarctica, you went to Antarctica. Are brown people went, there? Even how how did that go? There were brown people on the cruise because I hitched a ride with Api, the Association of Asian Physicians of Indian, whatever it is, but. Uh, yeah. So there were all sorts of brown people. Uh, the chef, he put the tikka in Antarctica. Hey, Bhagwan. Hey. It's such a good joke. It's it so is. clever. 
It's you know so what? Funny. It was clean. Continue. It's clean. It's clean <laughs> like Antarctica. I think whether scientists and researchers, they're always basey. So I think there's some brown researchers down there. But um, I really wanted to go to a base down there uh, because they have the, the southernmost bar in the world called the Faraday Bar. And women, or I guess anywhere along the gender spectrum, if you give them a bra, you get a free drink, which is kind of nice. Who? That's an interesting rule. I love that we're sexist on all seven continents. That's yeah, cool. uh, that's really nice. It's we objectify women all over planet Earth. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, that's a really nice gift. I thought that was really cool. sweet. Yeah, I'll yeah, definitely have to go there for my you know tenth anniversary or something. That's really nice. So all seven continents. That's amazing. You did stand up in all seven. You did TED Talks. You did... Well, TEDx Talks. TEDx Talks. It's okay. Yes, it's fake news a little bit. Um, make Make China at War, a Hindu-Muslim stand-up show with mm-hmm. your... Near and dear to my heart. Right. So how was that? It's really very much what I believe. I believe in inclusivity, and I also believe in just railing people for their belief systems. Like, that's, that's, that's inclusivity. That's what Russell Peters does. That's what, you know, I did a gig up at uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst, I guess now this was, man, I can't believe time is going either moving or not moving, but I think it was December of 2019. It feels like it was a couple of weeks ago, but I performed at Brown and Amherst and everybody's saying, dude, how are you going to perform at these liberal colleges with all the politics and religion you do? And, you know, I, I think that it, they went great. I did an hour on both stages and, you know, but it was interesting. There were people up, I think at Brown and there was a group where people asked why the F are we getting Rajiv Sathyal here who opened for Prime Minister Modi? Right. And if you didn't know me, it was like, oh, he must be this Hindu nationalist kind of comic or whatever, which I don't even know how you would do that. It's like conservative comedians here. They all suck. Like you yeah. can't, you can't be conservative and do comedy really. Yeah. yeah. And, but I, they, I did really well. I killed. And part of it is because you just go all in. You just, you know, there was a, a Muslim woman. She's probably 19. She had the head wrap, whatever. And I'm bust, busting on everybody, dude. I'm busting. So I'm busting on her too, because you have to. That's, Equal opportunity. That's, you have to. Yes. You have to. You came up to the picture, right. you know, whatever. It's like, that's what, that's what you do. Like, that's what a comedian, that's how you, we show love. You wrote that's, the kind of, that's kind of your job. <laughs> like yeah. description. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm going to bust on everybody except the Muslim woman. Like that's. Yeah. That's, everybody that's, that's calm down. That's actually being like sexist to not bust on them, right? Yeah. No, right. I'm not going to make fun of you because you're a woman. It's like, no, what? No, hit me, hit me, man. Like, you'd have to hit me for like being having a vagina, but you can make fun of me for other stuff. Sure. That's later in the night. You've done a podcast, the Pant Jet Show. You have done a Kickstarter and you launched a talk show, What Do You Bring to the Table? We had all these amazing guests including your old roommate, Hassan Minaj. By the way, you're the second person I've interviewed that has roomed with Hassan Minaj. Kind of. Who's the other? Namesh Patel. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Namesh I, don't know if they were, I don't know if they were roomies forever, but they had... I think they, they shared, crashed together. They crashed together um, quite a bit, yeah. He's uh, a funny dude, man. Namesh is hilarious. Dude, when, I, when he started interviewing with me, I'm like, are you Darth Vader? Like, how is this your voice? Like, your voice does not match your face. Not that his face or anything is bad. I was just like, huh. So the podcast, the talk show, I mean, you've done so many different mediums. What have you enjoyed the most? What's been kind of your jam? Or is it just kind of everything? I do enjoy all aspects of it, but that's a cop out. Let me give you an answer. I, I, I still feel at my core that I'm a host. I feel like I'm... A good actor. I'm a really good stand-up comic. 
but I'm a world-class host. I love standing on stage, live hosting events, being in the moment, running commentary, improvising. That's what I do. Uh, there may be people as good. There's nobody any better. That's what I always say. I'm really good at it. Good for and, you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ridiculous. When I see no. footage of myself later, I'm like, wow, that... Because I said what I would say even with two weeks of preparation. Right. right. It's not like, oh, you know what? I could have said this. I'm like, wow, I really came up with the best line on the spot each time. There are better stand-up comics. There are better actors, definitely. Right. But I don't know that there are better hosts and better interviewers. I'm really I'm actually very surprised that you're not confident about your headsets then, because I think they look great. That's like, funny. Thank you're, you. you're, you're not confident about it. I just feel like it should you should be by now. They anyway, cover up my big ears, so I should just, be just, just work on it. I think you look fantastic. It's Own it. Currently, are you still performing at Laugh Factory? Not not mean COVID, but were you performing at Laugh Factory before a pandemic? Yeah, I okay. was. Okay, and that was weekly. A weekly gig. Yeah, I had my own show there for a while. You know, it's it's. I, I talked to the owner and I said, "Look, I'm I'm a little wary about getting my own show because we want to give you your own show on Thursdays." I said, "That's great, but I also am aware of the fact that people who get their own shows sometimes get kicked out of the club because they can't deliver an audience because it's very hard. It's hard to bring people back week after week, even when you had at the time Dane Cook, Russell Peters, Norm Macdonald. You know, uh, all these people come. Whitney Cummings, you know, Chris D'Elia, all these people coming through, but." It, it's difficult. You you eventually run out. It's like a pyramid scheme. And I know a lot of people and I'm inviting a lot of people and whatever. But right. I, look, I have to really go into promotion mode. And I'm a promoter, but I, I really am creative in not business then. And so I, I'll do it, but I don't want to lose my job here as a person who comes and performs. And so I set expectations. I had my own show for, I don't know, a few months. But then, yeah, that's what happened. Like, it's hard to get people. And they're like, all right, we're going to give someone else a shot. And I said, that's fine. I just don't. And they said, no, you did a pretty good job of, of setting expectations. Because most people come into that job like, give it to me. I'm going right. to pack it out. Two right. people, like, I'm not saying that. So if you don't want to give it to me after this, like, reverse interview that I'm doing, your reverse pitch that I'm giving you. But, no, they've always been good to me. I love the Laugh Factory. I feel like it's my home club here. But I get up in all the clubs here. I'm a, I'm a paid regular at everyone, I think, except the comedy store. But I still get up there, which is great. Well, like you said, you know, like the, you know, doing it for Trump. But it's a platform, right? Platform. It's, it's, it's a platform to go. And four twenty-five. Just throw them, tell them that number, and it's fine. And it's not. They don't get it. I it's mean, like four twenty-five better. Yeah, just get a shirt four twenty-five. Let's make it happen. I'll help you make them. It's it's gonna work out. It's gonna be fine. Come on. Are you still doing uh, con the consulting business, Standpoint Agency? So Standpoint Agency has lain dormant now for several years, but there are people that have replicated it to some extent. Basically, if you want to hire us, we stand ready. My business partner still works at the Peach at Procter & Gamble, P&G, Punjabis and Gujaratis. And he and I are ready to do these programs for you. If you need insights for your business, we will bring comedians in. We've had Sebastian Maniscalco, Bonnie McFarlane, Josh Sneed, all these people, Orny Adams. These people are no joke. Or yeah. there are lots of jokes, I guess. But <laughs> we are good at finding insights and and stuff for your business, and it works. It's a pretty it's a pretty cool business, actually. What, what about podcasters? I really feel like we could bring in podcasters. Y'all have your own own lane now. Just just saying. I don't know. I mean, seems pretty funny. I get funnier. I promise. And then you're doing a current live game show. Yeah, that's really okay. interesting. It's called Basie Chain. And basically what you're trying to do is you take two contestants. It's every Thursday at eight o'clock PM Eastern. Okay. It's on facebook.com slash Stacy chain. 
We have two contestants. We have a chosen one. And one of the contestants wins by bringing that person, the chosen one, into the Zoom. So I'm hosting. You can imagine a screen. Okay. With, uh, a couple contestants. And they're not allowed to use social media. So no Google, no Facebook, no Instagram, none of that. And they, we give them clues like, hey, her name is Nirvi. She lives in Atlanta. She's 28. And they'll go, oh, my gosh. All right. I'm in Florida, but I've got a friend in Atlanta, but she's like 40. OK, bring her into the Zoom. Send her to the link. She comes in. Hey, do you know any Gujaratis? Because you might be Tom or whatever. Yes, I know a Gujarati, whatever. Oh, gosh. And then you get a Gujarati in there. Go, OK, she's a lawyer. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Yes, I am friends with a Gujarati lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Bam. And then it goes, oh, Nirvi, she's my cousin. And then you bring her in and then you win. It is a blast. That is, this is like a seven steps yes. away from Kevin Bacon or whatever. whatever. I'm an That's now. how we describe it. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon for the Desi community. It, I mean, is a, I mean, Shafe came in and joined us for one of them recently. We had Nina Davaluri, the Miss yeah. America. She was in the last one. It was, it's, I am so psyched about it because it's, it's got the right amount of cheese. Like it's like a game showy, cheesy kind of thing. It's supposed to be but, cheese. Oh my gosh. It's supposed to be. And everybody's like, dude, this is so on brand for you. You know everybody in the Desi community. This is so lit AF. Hey, it's clean. Hey, you know what? I would be good with that, I think. Let's get you in there. I know peeps. I know peeps in Delhi sure. and Bangalore too, you know? I can oh, call I'll, my driver. I want, to, I want to ping the motherland. I want I to can, the motherland. I can call my driver. I got some people there, dude. He's going to run away if you're in Lucknow. Oh, no shit. I would too. Um, and then were you recently in Austin interviewing Arthi Shahani? Was that a recent thing? She's the one who said you are the president of the Desi Corner. She's like, oh. I feel like you live at the intersection of that. And yes, I interviewed Arthi. It was one of my uh, thrills because I've been such a fan of her work on NPR for so many years. And I read her book and it's really great. Right. That's awesome. And then I just saw on your Insta stories... See, I'm cool. I can do this shit. You're on it. Um, were you on a panel with Ricky Jarvis and Jimmy Fallon? Or was that just, was this a Instagram Photoshop? Because I was like, what the mother of Bagon is this? Like, who's, what's happening? So I'm two months early for April Fool's, but I made yeah. it. And then only one of my friends, John, writes in. He goes, how did, how long did it take you to make that? So everybody else, but you know what, dude? I thought, okay, can I get in trouble? I'm like, no, it's comedy. But I go, the number of people, I mean, who think it's real. I never thought people would think that. I thought everybody would be like, haha, funny. People are like, oh, and they're DMing me. Like, what was this? Do you have the video? I'm going, the fact that you think that I'd be the only non-famous person amongst Wanda Sykes, Larry David, Jimmy Fallon. I mean, I guess it's a little like, okay. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, like, like we talked about the confidence, man. Like, you'd be like, yeah, why not? You didn't have the headsets on. Your ears look great. And then any other projects you want to talk about that you're working on? The big thing right now is Daisy Chain, and I am working on something else. Uh, I'm not quite ready to announce it yet, but it is a talk show. And it is going to be interview-based. We might have some sketches, but I'm sitting in my studio in Burbank. We built it for this express purpose for me to create content out of here. There will be monologues and interviews, which is basically what a talk show is. And uh, there will be a lot of bases on there. And we hope to book uh, some really big people. We already have some big people booked. And if you looked at what do you bring to the table, you can see clearly that, you know, having access to those folks, people want more. They're like, dude, give us more Deepak Chopra. Give us more Hassan Minhaj. Like, we, you have access to these people who are more talented than you. So please bring them to the party. They don't look as good as you on headsets. Whatever, dude. I tell you. I tell you. 
All right. I'm going to ask you what the, what the best thing was about this and the worst thing was about this. So it can be okay. best, like opinion, experience, whatever. Okay. Netflix, Netflix shows. Um, recently, this past, I would say, year, year and a half, there's been a ton of brown Netflix shows. Uh, Indian Matchmaking, Bollywood Wire. I don't know. There's so many. Best thing about them and worst thing about them. Best thing about them is the person who did the audio description for Indian Matchmaking, because that was me. So if you go into settings and you hit audio description narrator, that's Rajiv Satyal. So that's easily the best. I oh, wrote a whole I, thing about I missed that in your 18,000 things you've done. So. I did. I know. I know. <laughs> that was so cool to be able to do. I just pinged Manisha from that show to see if she wants to do Desi Chain in the next couple of weeks. I loved her of Yasser's, uh, you know, erstwhile uh, dating partner on there. Yeah, I thought sure. she was so awesome. I love her. So she's so sweet too. So I would say that's great. I, I think it's great to showcase in all honesty. I, I didn't hold like stand up special about Indian matchmaking. I thought it was great. I thought that that's the kind of content that people say they don't want, but they do. It's kind of like alt audiences were like, Oh, don't make racial jokes, but you make a racial joke and everybody dies laughing. It's the biggest laugh of the night. And they try to be all art house and avant garde. And it's still like the, it's still like the pun that's going to blow up the room more than I that. know. Dude, we were watching, um, my husband and I were watching Back to the Future last night, the oh, original OG, most, of course. Most entertaining movie in history. I mean, I can't believe, I mean, this is the 84th time, and I can't believe how still each scene, I was like, oh my God, that's so good. And then they're talking about, you know, how the Libyans killed Doc Brown. And I was like, only in 19, whatever year this movie was made. Like, yeah, they, we could like talk about Libyans like that. And the scene with Libyans. <laughs> I was like, would that, be, would that be allowed nowadays? Or like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Like we were watching that. Oh, I was like, huh. <laughs> guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. It's so wrong, especially for a Hindu. Kalima. It's so wrong for me to like that movie. But dude, that movie is so dope. It, I'm sorry, it's so wrong for me to it's say so that. It's so wrong, but I was like, but it's so right for this movie. I think the worst thing about those shows is the worst thing about any reality shows, which is I don't truck with any of the extreme makeover wives of NBA, Bollywood, Hollywood. Like I don't, I think that stuff is just stupid. So when people ask me like, what do you think of the what Bollywood wives? I'm like, you could not get me to watch that unless you tied me down. I'm never watching that. Even if I even if we tied you down, you'd probably just pass out. Close my eyes. Yeah, put the headset on. It'd be fine. Yeah, or do I, or do whatever you're gonna do with me when you tie me up. Uh, hey, I'll leave that for your wife. Um, COVID, working from home, Zoom. Best best thing about it, worst thing about it. Well, not COVID because that just sucks. But working from home, Zoom. Working from home, Zoom. Best thing. Besides not having to wear pants, which is, I'm sure, what a lot of people say. I think the best thing about it is the camaraderie, right? Yeah. We we all are kind of like, yeah, this sucks, but hey, right? There's this connection point of valuing that. Yep. I think the worst part about it, of course, besides the isolation, is Zoom fatigue is real. And people wonder why that is. It's because you're giving so much of yourself the whole time you're performing. Right. In person, you, you, you're, you can sit there and the person can see you. Sometimes it's like you're competing with so much of the stuff that's on your screen. And I can see that you move to something else because the brightness changes. And it's tough, though. It's a, I always joke about how my background is perfect, but my foreground is just a disaster. I just have like tissues and freaking you know my ipod my uh my tripod thing here and my it's just a mess don't stand up with because you know the no pants yeah. and then we'll, we'll be good after that you Absolutely. know well, i think that, that'll be for next round the next bonding session all right the uh jeffrey uh jeffrey tubing it over here yeah but go on. 
Okay. I know one of your goals is to host the Oscars. Mm. Can you give me your first 30 seconds of what you would say as an intro? Wow. Nobody has even asked me that before. That is so funny. I guess it would have to, to some extent, depend upon what happened that year, but wow. What would you open it up at? What would be the topic? Man, that is a good question. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, the way I open most of my shows is I say, you know, as you probably guessed, I'm originally from Ohio. And then I, most of my virtual shows, I've been saying, you know, yeah, this is great because, you know, you're there. I'm here in Burbank. Uh, this is, you know, this video, it's, it's kind of a coexisting video. We could shorten that to COVID. Maybe not such a good idea. So I don't know. I, I guess I would do standard stuff that I've been doing. I don't know. Like, I, I, no one's ever asked me that question. That's a really good question. I just wonder whether you would go, like, all in and say, like, you know, Benjold, or would you would start off slow? I, my fa- I liked um, the model to me is Ricky Gervais and you know what he did uh, my favorite thing that he said in his last monologue of the Golden Globes and it probably really was his last to hear him tell it was when he uh, people coming in there uh, people came here tonight and the, the cars in it and uh, the great thing about the license plate to have made by Felicity Huffman so uh. <laughs> So wah, good, dude. Wah, wah. That's not a walk walk. No, no, no you cannot like, walk walk that. No, walk walk in a good way. I love him. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. I think a walk walk is like a walk, bad. Walk towards her, mainly. Oh, man. Yeah, that that is so cutting and incisive and, and mordant. You're kind of like, I can't believe he said that. And it is, it's wow. Also, it's also uh, delivery, man. Like, that guy just can deliver. The uh, and, uh, the woman's in jail, dude. Like, that's so good. As she should be. I know. I'm like, really? That's and what schools was she, were they trying to get into? Like, USC or some shit? I don't yeah. even know. I was like, at least, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. If you're Indian, you wouldn't have that problem. It's fine. That's true. That's true. Um, that's it, my friend. I mean, I have a ton more, but I don't. I don't want to take too much of it. How did I do? How did it go? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you what? asked the stumper, which is what I would do for the Oscars. That's, that's a great question. I, I had a friend of mine say, you know, you, you're acting. You expected to be more about movies. All right, guys, please check out Raji's new game, Bessie Chain, on Facebook and stay tuned for his upcoming project. You can follow him at Funny Indian on IG because, you know, he's a funny Indian. Get it? And as always, you can follow me at Ummy Tuckered Out. Again, things are changing a little bit, but all for the better. Stay tuned for the new name, new logo, new website. Super pumped. Love you guys. I will see you soon. This is Ami Tuckered Out.